Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. know that there's a really exciting NIH funded program right now called Radex. It's pretty cool. Lots of exciting, innovative, creative products and technologies are being developed to help with the pandemic. And joining me on this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast is Devin Campbell from Product. Devin has been supporting some of the Radex teams. And we decided to dive in and, and share five actionable lessons that have been learned from the RADx program that would also be applicable to early stage medical device startups. So enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. Happy New Year. Hope everybody's 2021 is off to an amazing start. Today, I've got a familiar voice, someone that, you know, frankly, I'm quite fond of and, and really enjoy talking with him, the, the opportunities that he and I have. So joining me is Devin Campbell. Devin is the founder of Product, P-R-O-D-C-T. So Devin, welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Thanks, John. Always happy to be here. So what I thought we could dive into a little bit today is talk a little bit about this. I think it's kind of an exciting program. This program's called RADx. I thought we'd explore that a little bit, but I guess before we dive too deep, what is RADx? Maybe give folks a, a brief overview of that program. Sure. So we're going to be talking about the RADx Tech Initiative, uh, and what that is. It's it's a program uh, done through the NIH, and its aim is to speed the development, the validation, and the commercialization of. Uh, innovative point-of-care and home-based tests. It's also looking to try to improve clinical laboratory tests uh, and and anything else in that diagnostic space specifically to detect COVID-19 and the virus there. So it's very focused on a lot of different technologies that are out there uh, and how can the NIH, how can the government step in to as kind of a Kickstarter incubator program um, to help companies bring their uh, technologies to market that can help in in this in this battle that we're all engaged in. Yeah. And I don't remember exactly when I first became aware of this, but this is a I think it was mid to late Q or I'm sorry, 2020 when when they first announced this program. How long has this program been around? Can you remind me? It's been funded for quite a while. I don't remember the date that it actually got started. I know that rolling submissions and selections for projects began end of April, I think April 29th. Okay. So it's been around. Um, so that's when they thought, started, yeah. you know, looking out there and, and see, you know, what, what, what might be available. And then they had like a phased process where there is kind of a shark tank like selection process, a down select down to a, a smaller number. And then there's some validation and risk review where, where more and more uh, folks get involved to take a look at some of these companies. And then the very last piece is a, a more select group gets chosen, and then they're supported very heavily through the, through the NIH program uh, to help with clinical tests and regulatory yeah. approval and quality system buildup and everything that you need to scale up the company in manufacturing, 
with the goal of being able to then have a, a number of tests out there that can detect them in, in variety of different use cases and environments. I mean, some of it's of the program, at least what I'm aware of anyway, it sounds somewhat uh, analogous or similar to the uh, SBIR program that's been around for a while. It seems like there's an element or elements of that, of RADx that are similar to that. But I like your, your comment about Shark Tank. Uh, that might be a little bit more appropriate as far as describing the process. Yeah, and I think it's a little different too because the further in you get when you become kind of a finalist in this space within the program, you're then matched with technical business and manufacturing experts provided to you through the program to help fill the gaps that the companies uh, may have in order to increase the odds of success, right? So there's, there's a lot of different programs out here that are um, really exciting technologies uh, that, the, that the government and the NIH is investing in these companies to try to bring them to the point where, where they can make a difference. And I think that that's a big difference with compared to the SBIR or STT, STTR and things like that, where you know, you're really getting a ton of handholding and support in places that you don't necessarily, um, where, where, where you have vulnerabilities within your within your team. True, and and the other thing that that I think differentiates Radex is the speed. I mean, I have been involved with companies and initiatives where they've gone, you know, SBIR, or, you know, different grant funding mm-hmm. routes, you know, NIH, whatever the case may be, and and that process is painfully slow. I mean, months and months and months, but. You know, in, in the period of time that since Radex has been around, I mean, I, I don't even know. I mean, there's probably been thousands of, of companies that have applied to the program and probably hundreds going through the process right now. And it's like you said, it's handholding. It's very quick, which is it's sort of interesting, you know, like like the classic d- description of a medical device or an IVD or, or something of that nature. You usually don't use the word quick and fast when you're describing the process. I think it definitely applies here. It's amazing the number of hurdles that are cleared in order for some of these technologies to be able to find their way to the market, still in a safe and efficacious way, meeting uh, FDA expectations. So you know, there's, there's definitely no corners being cut. But I mean, I'll give you an example. I mean, if, if you want to get feedback from the FDA on a specific aspect of it, you, you basically kind of uh, raise that up within your team and within the RADx uh, resources that are uh, there to help you. And then, you know, within a couple of days, there's, a, there's just a pace and you get on the agenda and you, you cool. have audience with the FDA and, and, and you get into them right away and you get full notes back and, and you know, decisions are made and you get suggestions about what you should do next from them. And just the, the real-time feedback is, it's moving at breakneck speeds. And yeah. it, it really allows some of this stuff to, to, to move very fast. It's a whole different topic for a whole different day, but I'll, I'll plant the seed in your brain and maybe we can talk about it later. But, you know, there's been a lot of things through COVID and, you know, seeing the responsiveness from FDA, the, some of the, the positive momentum on things like EUAs and things like that. And this RADx program begs the question, maybe there's an opportunity for this to become the norm. But again, that's a whole different topic for a whole different day. But um, I, I guess getting yeah, back... Yeah. Back on topic, you and, and product have been very involved in this. So 
What was it for you that was compelling and intriguing about this? So we were talking before about how finalists are matched up with technical business and manufacturing experts, right? Regulatory and quality experts, all sorts of things. And there are a number of different kinds of companies involved in the program. Some of them are much larger. Some of them are medium-sized. But then there, there's a subcategory of kind of emerging entrepreneurs and earlier stage technologies that haven't, you know, it's, it's not a mature company that's already on market and they're trying to pivot their technology to, to be able to detect COVID-19. There are groups that are definitely doing that. But there's also this other group, which is kind of my specific niche and, and, and specialty where I focus a lot of my attention. And that's helping these emerging entrepreneurs in, in these, these um, earlier stage companies get through uh, kind of that, you know, how do we scale up the company? How do we build it? What do we invest our attention and our limited funds into to be able to contribute to this this overwhelming need we have nationally and, and internationally? So there had been a, uh, this specific subset had been noted uh, in a few cases. That's a tricky pivot to make right? To be kind of an academic, two folks in their yeah. PhD thesis, right? right. And, and a lot of my clients and a lot of the work that I do is, is in that earlier, you know, really early stage, like how do we build a medical device company out of, you know, this research that we've done or this academic work that we've done? And those companies needed some additional help. Uh, so a lot of the Radex experts that were involved, they kind of take a look at it and they ask, you know, how can, is there anyone in, within the network's that you guys have that can help these companies kind of figure out how to do this this pivot, especially in this pressure cooker situation where we're moving so fast. And fortunately for me and, and, and my, my, my network, a few folks uh, there on the inside had suggested me as, as a resource um, to be able to help kind of coach and mentor uh, these projects like, like I do professionally and like I do with, with Mass Challenge and, and with other groups. So that's how I got I got pulled in and, and got involved as, as one of those technical business manufacturing experts to help these companies figure out how are they going to get to there from here. I mean, you just hit on, uh, I think, a really important point. I mean, I've worked uh, through my career as well with you know, a fair amount of, I'll say, academic researchers. And you know, the research is phenomenal uh, a lot of the times, but the challenge, mm-hmm. the obstacle, the barrier is... Uh, shifting from the proverbial R into D, taking that research and actually, you know, with an eye towards development and an eye towards product productization. I think that's a word. Uh, that is a big challenge. So mm-hmm. I think that's really insightful that the powers that be behind this program, you know, saw that and and realized, hey, there's there's people like Devin out there who's been there, done that, and very knowledgeable about moving from R to D and and D to market. So that's yeah, really cool. I know, you know, from a green light perspective, yeah. you know, we've been working with, I don't even know the, the exact count these days, but let's just say, you know, probably a couple dozen uh, Radex companies at least I have been working with in the green light construct as well. And I, I th- you know, our involvement with that is to, to your earlier point, you know, the part of moving from research to development, of course, there's advancing the product and the technology, of course, first and foremost, but, you know, with an eye towards go to market, things like quality systems become important and good design controls and risk management and those sorts of things. So that's, you know, the part that we've been playing from a green light perspective. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I thought, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I've been thankful. Yeah, go ahead. I've been thankful that you have been because it's 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 been a <laughs> uh, it's been a useful um, resource for me to be able to lean on as well. Um, you know, with with some of these teams. Um, but but you know, one thing that I thought was really interesting for us to explore today, sure, uh, in, in the time that we have remaining, was. And we've kind of set the stage, right? We've talked a little bit about this Radex program and kind of, you know, and in, in specifically the, 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 the specific kind of, of team that um, I've, I've been helping and that I've been blessed and, and fortunate enough to be able to help support. I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot in this situation that forces the teams to be hyper sensitive to efficiency and speed while still maintaining safety and regulatory expectations. And as I've been building strategies for a lot of the teams that I'm um, associated with and helping them think through, all right, well, what will our quality strategy be? How should we approach product development? You know, how do we get the regulatory team has given us a guidance to say, you know, we're going to go this direction from a regulatory perspective. How do we maintain that uh, and, and inch toward it? And I've noticed my mentoring and, and suggestions and strategic design has shifted a bit for this subset in this situation compared to what I might normally do uh, with, with companies I'm involved with. So I thought it was interesting. And I reflected on that and I thought, you know, that a lot of these learnings are definitely applicable outside of this Radex construct. Uh, it makes sense for really all kind of early stage medical device, med tech, even therapeutic companies um, to at least consider a few of these um, these kind of common observations that I've seen that are, are applicable to you know, almost all of the projects that I'm supporting. Okay, I'm I'm intrigued. I mean, what what are some of those those learnings that you think? Uh, are worth sharing that you know apply to to Radex companies and, and or any other company, frankly. Yeah, cool. Let's, let's get into those. We should acknowledge. Let's let, let's talk for a second about some some common characteristics with a lot of the projects that that, that I'm I'm supporting. Um, I have to be a little obtuse. Uh, you know, where we don't talk about you know the projects uh, in, in in any detail or the technology or or name them um, through the Radex program. Uh, only that I'm involved uh, and, and that, that I give some some guidance. But I would say kind of on a grander scheme, some common characteristics would be that these companies are generating an extraordinary amount of data and they're running a ton of experiments. They're doing it really fast. Um, and, and they're generally doing it kind of outside of a deeply experienced medical device such, uh, you know, leadership team or, or product development team, at least. Um, so generating a ton of data, really cool technology, running tons of experiments. In most cases, they're racing toward an EUA um, as kind of a, uh, a stop on the road, not even a stop, but um, as, as a told uh, booth that you fly through on the highway on your way toward um, uh, full FDA approval or authorization or clearance, depending on what they're trying to do. A third kind of common characteristic between them all, uh, we touched on it, they're all generally relatively inexperienced with medical device development, but they're all very smart, very anxious and excited to learn uh, and and to apply what they might have learned 
uh, from other industries that they're now in this or um, what they might have learned from academic or from research situations. But generally, there's a lot of coaching and mentoring that's needed to help folks kind of understand kind of core medical device development in the regulated, regulated space that, we, that you and I both live in. And then the last thing that I think is important to point out is that in all cases, they're simultaneously trying to manage development while building infrastructure, while fundraising. So it, it's kind of like jumping out of an airplane and you're trying to sew the parachute while you're falling <laughs> and you're trying to make money to buy the material to sew the parachute with. But you're falling, and you're doing all of it simultaneously. Well, and, and, um, fa- and falling toward so, at a rate of terminal velocity too, right? So you're going really, really fast <laughs> as you're trying to. You're moving it. fast. You're moving really fast. Yeah. So I, I think it's just, it's interest it's it's an interesting kind of paradigm um, and 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 situation that a lot of these companies are in. And, and you know, let me tell you, they are rising to the occasion. Um, there's a lot of really cool work. Um, that that's being done out there. So I mean, it's I mean, if I can, if you don't mind, those, I was just going to chime in for a moment. No, I mean, please. Th- those those characteristics, um, you know, at least a few of those, you know, that, that these are teams that are used to gathering data and running experiments. They're not used to being a medical mm-hmm. device company. They're probably not used to mm-hmm. uh, fundraising. They're probably not used to building a team, building a company. They're probably and they're, you know, normal pre-COVID days and jobs, probably not really focused so much on go-to-market with their technologies. So it's a really interesting dynamic. But I like the way you articulated that, John. But if you abstract it just a tiny little bit, take away the COVID um, overlay that's on top of the whole thing. It's, it's I feel, and my, my, my thesis here is that, you know, this experience and the lessons being learned from this is, is still highly applicable even in a non-COVID context um, for, for companies in this space, right? To be able to kind of look at what's happening there. Why are they able to move so fast? Um, and, and what can I learn from that to apply to my medical device company that has nothing to do with COVID? And I think sure. there's, a lot, there's a lot here for, um, for, these, for these early stage startups. For sure. All right. Want to jump into them? Let's do it. All right. So one observation that I think will resonate so a lot of these companies that we talked about, they're running a lot of experiments. They're running a lot of data. They're doing the right things, right? It, it, it's not that they're, that they're engaged in poor science or poor engineering practice in d- designing or developing whatever it is they're working on. They're doing the right things. It's solid science. It's, it's foundational engineering, but it's being done in a way that, the teams can't really take credit for it later. So one of the first things I've, I've kind of coached the, the teams that I'm involved with is, is to protect the data, build credibility, and take away those vulnerabilities for anyone else outside your company to look at what you're doing and invalidate your data or to otherwise question your hard work. You're doing the right things, but if you're not, you know, the old quality adage, if it's not written down, it didn't happen. Um, you're doing thoughtful work. It's just not being captured in the right way. So rather than trying to build out, for example, like quality system stuff and say, okay, let's start with a quality manual and then let's put in management responsibilities and 
and let's kind of build piecemeal as we go and kind of start building it up. I say, just don't worry about all that. Let's take away excuses. Let's take away vulnerabilities where people could try to invalidate your work. I want you to document your protocols. I want you to document your reports, including the configuration of whatever it was you were testing when you did the testing and establish some form of data um, indelibility, right? So in a lot of cases, the data is being shared um, on, it's on different people's computers or maybe it's in Dropbox or whatever. Like at least we can take baby steps. We don't have to have a fully 21 CFR part 11 compliant, you know, repository and, and an approval system yet. We need to get there. But for right now, I want you to at least take what you've done and put it into a secure drive somewhere. All the data just flows into one spot yeah. and make sure that you wrote down what you did. What was the protocol? And then stop. You obviously are looking at the data. You're making a decision. Hey, we need to optimize the assay so that we can do some X, Y, and Z. Great. You looked at the data. You made a smart decision. You have data that supports it, but you didn't write any of that down. So just take a breath and write small reports. I don't care if it's one page, but right. write a report that says, this was the protocol I followed. This was the configuration of the system I tested with. My data is all stored somewhere safe and point to it. And then this was the decision. This was the the result um, and the recommendation I'm moving forward with. And don't get hung up with formatting and all you know using templates and using you know a specific tool that you put it all into. Let's at least get that stuff written down, and we'll worry about where we put it later. Yeah, I think that's so smart. And and to your point, I mean that's this definitely good advice for Radix companies, but. Frankly, it's just good advice for for any startup, uh, to be quite frank, because I think this is something that can trip up a, a lot of companies sometimes or, and can also be a, a reason that some folks get a little disenfranchised about med device and working in a regulated industry is, you know, there may be 10 steps ahead of where they actually are as a business. I mean, I, I always describe this as a mm-hmm. crawl, walk, run approach, you know, build it as you go, build it as you need it. And, and I think this is just really smart. So... First action, document your protocols and reports. Just def- write down what you did and, and have a common shared space where you know your entire team is contributing and has access to the, the same sources of data and information and reports and things of that nature. Really smart. Yeah, common shared space, but I would want it to be you know, some sense of, of kind of you know, write-only, no, I mean, like, like right. a read-only folder that you put everything into. Right. right. Control's important. Um, and so, so that, yeah, controls controls important. And, and the whole point of it is 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 to build credibility, right? When someone else looks at it later, um, whether that someone else is is uh, the FDA and and they're considering, um, you know, some of your earlier work in support of your EUA, or if it is take COVID off the table, if it is investors, right, that have tech savvy due diligence people on their teams coming in to take a look at you. Uh, and this was a part of my role with a prior company uh, was to come in and, and, and take a deep look at this sort of stuff to have that in a secured location and say, this was the protocol I ran. This was what, this was the, this is where the data is. And look, the data is not adulterated. You know, no one could have touched the data. It's in a safe location. Of course, someone could say, well, sure, maybe you did uh, a tweak between from the time the device generated the data 
to the time you put the data into the into the secure folder, somebody could have edited it. Maybe, sure. But doing something is better than doing nothing. And I'd rather you put it there um, yeah. and, and, and let it be. For sure. Yeah. All right. What about the, the second? Well, well, this kind of leads us to the next one, right? Yeah. That it's eventually you're going to need to have some document control. Um, you're going to have to have some documentation and design controls in place. Um, you can't get away from that in our industry. Um, I've long been, 20 plus years, been a proponent of um, start documenting really early and revise often. Uh, I, I've never, I, I, I don't like waiting to the last minute to bring something into design controls. As long as the process that you're using is lean and agile and doesn't really get in, in, in the way of product development. And I'm talking about the earlier product development, maybe before you might normally snap the chalk and say, okay, we're under full design control now. Especially with these specific teams that are running so fast and you don't know what you're going to try to take credit for later because you're moving so quick. I want, in, in the same spirit of taking away vulnerabilities and taking away people's excuses in our, in our last comments about protocols, reports, and, and data, I want you to start having some con document control. Um, and so putting together some review processes that are fast enough that you can say, yeah, I did have somebody review it. It, it might not be that I had every single department review. I haven't had quality and regulatory and manufacturing and, and sales and marketing and everybody else signed off because these companies don't have those people yet. They're moving really fast, but they're very, they're very early uh, in, in their size, which is not atypical for a lot of um, earlier stage startups. It's not like you just hit the ground running and you have an entire um, product development and commercialization team. So start with documentation, do introduce some design controls, but do it in a way that kind of lowers the bar as much as possible to say, all right, I want at least one person to review your work. Just one. Can we start with that? And so now it's, you're taking away these, um, these hesitations people have about doing design controls and, and bringing stuff into a document control system like Greenlight Guru to say, look, just do one person right now. We will, as the company grows, as the product matures, we'll add in more layers uh, as appropriate and as directed by, regula by um, the regulators and ISO and, and, and FDA expectations. So we can build that in in time, but I'd rather you start now than procrastinate and wait till, till much later. Um, one thing I've found is that you can maintain this really fast um, development change order in parallel with your more commercial, more robust one. And you can run them at the same time. So if, if you're doing a product development project to encourage these teams to start documenting really early, if you're taking away all the, all the hurdles and say, look, I'm going to push this in and the only person, John, you're going to review it and approve it in the system. Um, that can work. In, in, in a green light context, it would mean for, for your listeners that are, that are users, it would mean you kind of give document control privileges to, um, you know, to, to the, the rest of the group. If you have a four-person team, everyone gets doc control privileges. It's not really a safe space to, to persist in, but it's a way to get started yeah. and, and start documenting stuff. And now you have it there. 
And then you can layer in the security that you need to make it more robust and take away that dock control privilege from everyone. Um, but it's better to start than it is to wait. Well, and I, you know, and I, I hear this this myth. I'll put it in the category of myths all the time where, you know, folks, a lot of people are like, oh, I can't get into design control. It's too structured. It's too rigorous. It's it's too burdensome. And and I always tell people that that have that that opinion. I'm like, if that's the system you're used to working in, then you've been working in the wrong system because that is not the intent of design mm-hmm. controls. And, and mm-hmm. you know, start early. It, the The whole idea of any development, even with medical device development, is it's iterative. You know, you document something, you have a form of peer review, uh, call it a design review, call it a technical review, whatever the case may be. Um, but then you learn something from that and then you might make an iteration so that you can evolve the product, you know, a step or two further and eventually toward that path. So, all right. Anything else on this before we go to the next yeah. point? Um, yeah. One, one little kind of dynamic to weave into this, into the story. Sometimes I'm questioned to say, well, how frequently should I snap that chalk? How, how often should I put a rev, a rev in? Um, and it's not time-based, but I mean, I had an idea. Should I, should I put that in? And kind of my, my feedback or, or my, my coaching there has been, look, if you're going to run, if you're going to manufacture uh, a reagent, you're going to make a reagent, you're going to manufacture a part, you're going to have, um, you're going to 3D print something and do an experiment with that. At that point, I, yeah. I think it's a good idea to have that rev. I don't care if you're up to rev 322. Numbers are um, free, man. As long as numbers are free. Fast and it, yeah, numbers are free. And as long as the process is fast, it doesn't get in your way fine, but at least the configuration management windfall that you get from being able to say, I ran the experiment with this version uh, of the formulation and this version of the component, which was 3D printed. Um, you have it and you can you can reflect back to it later and say, hey, you can do some sophisticated work. Uh, <laughs> you don't write it all down. Yeah, you're still going to come to the same conclusion, right. but when you want to go back to it and look at it a little bit later, it's going to be really hard to tease it out. And if you want to take credit for what you did, if you say, oh, my God, this worked great. Let's do this. You're going to have to repeat some of that work under more control if you didn't do it to begin with. So it actually speeds things up. Uh, totally speeds things up. And, but that, and, and that's kind of the – yeah, go ahead, John. I was just say it totally speeds things up. And, and I think a lot of people um, – it, it sort of def- defies conventional wisdom – unless you've actually had that experience. But yeah. you know, Devin, you've been there. I've been there. Yeah. I can take our words for it. I mean, our combined nearly 50 years uh, or maybe more than 50 years in the industry, it works and it works better. Yeah, yeah. And it saves you time later. And that's actually a great introduction, John. <laughs> this is the third point I wanted to bring up. It's amazing how this um, flows, Devin. It's amazing how it flows. Um, that's why we have fun when we do these when we do these uh, sessions. <laughs> absolutely, together. absolutely. Um, so, the other folks that are part of like the Radex faculty and the other expert um, specialists that I have the privilege to be just one of many. Um, the value that these voices bring in accelerating the product development process and the move toward menu, toward scale up and commercialization. Um, we're all deeply experienced um, resources that, that are helping. And we've got great conversations amongst ourselves and we can you know bounce ideas off each other back and forth. And 
I was reflecting on this experience and thinking, you know, it's not that dissimilar to a startup bringing on um, or kind of leading, leaning into this idea of technical advisory boards, right? Where you have uh, a, a team, uh, an advisor network, but maybe a little bit more structured than just uh, a cultivated advisor network. But, you know, a specific group of people um, that you have access to and who work well together like a board would um, to be able to help you figure out what you're doing. They're not necessarily diving into the business aspects of the company. We're really focused on is the science there? How do you prove it? How would you scale this? How do we do the regulatory aspects of things? How do we manage the quality uh, and the QA and, 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 and RA side of the, of the whole thing? And these technical advisory boards, which have become really popular, this just reinforced for me um, th this experience of the last many months, the, the value that technical advisory board can bring. And I think a lot of startups are hesitant to move toward technical advisory board. And instead, they just say, well, we have lots of advisors that are in our network and that help us. And I think there's a big difference there between talking to individuals versus kind of talking with a team who has a single purpose, which is accelerating your company and your product to market, as opposed to advisors that you sit around and have a coffee with and might give you great feedback, but outside the context of a group conversation where we can bounce ideas off of each other and say, oh, you know what, John, that's actually a really good point. I think that I, I support that, that we should move forward with that for the company. Um, and so that the third actionable um, lesson here for, for the startups is to take a second look if you aren't already looking at building and maintaining technical advisory boards for your company. Any um, tips on who might be good candidates or what, what kind of uh, personas would be good, good uh, folks to consider for a technical advisory board? Yeah, you don't want too many to begin with. Um, so I mean, you, you want folks, you want folks that are going to that, that care, right? They're, they're not there. Um, you know, it, it, they're, they're not there to rubber stamp it and, and to try to like, you know, bolster their, their resume or their background um, to kind of do it. They're, they're there because they, they want to help. Um, they like coaching and mentoring. Um, they're open to being, uh, they're open to being critical of the team that they're working with the support. Cause sometimes you have to be, pretty critical, uh, but at the same time, open to being criticized yourself. Uh, and and because collectively, a group like this does so much better when you meet as a group and I'll throw out an idea and someone else will kind of take it and run with it in a slightly different direction um, that they think is maybe better for the team. And here's why. And I'll look at it and say, yeah, you know what? I think that's a really good idea. I, I endorse approaching uh, the this using this strategy. So I think really open um, and, and honest folks that are there to help, um, not there for the glory, um, and and enjoy working with. Um, I, I think that's definitely important. Take a good look internally to a company where you have gaps and and where you could benefit from having experienced um, folks on your technical advisory boards. Um, doesn't it's not a medical advisory board it's not the scientific advisory board it's more like how do you get through product development quality commercialization manufacturing ramp up that sort of stuff 
um, I think is is deeply valuable to to startups in our space. Yeah, and and my advice to folks is is choose wisely. Um, don't uh, identify people who are going to tell you what you want to hear. Um, you know, I, it's like mm-hmm. you know being a child uh, and asking your mom for or dad for their feedback on something, they're probably going to give you, you know, positive feedback. Oh, well, it's really great, John. You did an amazing job. That's not really what you're looking for on a technical advisory board. You're, you're looking for somebody that's going right. to push you a little bit and, and maybe a little bit, be a little bit more critical and maybe ask a tough question or two from time to time just to, to, to make sure that, you know, you're thinking about things from a lot of different perspectives. They should, to your point, complement uh, your, your in-house experience. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, All right. What's next? So, what, so next one? Um, let's build on the on, on what we just talked about. So, I am by nature a systems thinker. I, I think very broadly. I think about the interconnection, the interconnectivity between you know major elements of a system, not just the system itself. And there's a lot of interconnectedness um between different functions within a, a normal kind of medical device company um you know think about uh, assay dev uh, for um you know in, in in the cases that we're talking about here for radx where we're developing ibds you know assay dev and engineering and quality all these different functions that are involved but you're really developing a product that is the culmination of all of those different functions working together and I like, we've talked about this before on, on, on previous um, podcasts, John, where I like to start with the end in mind. And using a, a technical advisory board uh, to be able to help you think about what that end might look like gives you the ability to try to articulate a strategy or a roadmap, uh, a roadmap that'll help you get there in time. Uh, you need to take very fast but small steps, but understanding where you're going and the interconnectedness of, well, if we do these things, we run really fast in this direction, it might not be good from a manufacturing context. Or if we do all this work that's just to drive the manufacturing efficiencies, it might drive down assay efficiencies. Um, So understanding the balance and the push and pull and all of those different things to come up with with that strategy to say, well, here's where we want to get. Um, and here's how we think we're going to do it. And then just start executing really early um, and taking those very fast but but small steps to get there. We talked about it earlier, doing something when we, when we were talking about document control, doing something is better than doing nothing. Um, and, and if you procrastinate for too long, especially taking kind of a wide systems view and thinking about where are we trying to get um, it just it you know that procrastination kills your future agility. Uh, I, I would rather be running forward, um, eyes wide open, um, in, into the rain than kind of huddling from it um, and and just waiting for the rain to end because you you may have missed your opportunity. Well, so, and and I think what you know just the, to to carry that metaphor a little bit further, I think sometimes when people look outside, like oh my gosh, it's torrential downpour. We we better build an umbrella. Uh, you know, let's go see what kind of materials we have and, and start constructing one. And, and by the time they build the umbrella, the, the, the rain is gone and the sun is out, you know, it's like, you know, maybe you should have just yeah. grabbed the newspaper and put over your head or, or to your point, just, you know, go, go 
full ahead into the rain, knowing that you know at some point in time you're going to walk through it or it's going to stop, or whatever the case may be. Right, right. Or just acknowledging maybe it's okay to get wet, and and I, yeah. I don't care because I, I know where I'm going. I have I have a goal in mind, and I know if I get there, if I run now, and ho- who cares if I get drenched. If yeah. I run now, I'll be the first one to, when the sun does come out, to be in line for whatever it is you want to get, you want to do next. Yeah, uh, um, I like that. So Very starting poetic. with the end in mind, <laughs> and then building your strategy accordingly is 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 that is that fourth that fourth kind of lesson that I've I've noticed um, consistent with with a lot of the teams that I'm I'm helping out. All right. So as we've been talking, I've I've thought of something that. I mean, it's great. <laughs> um, I guess as we've been talking, what what comes to mind to me to me about all, I mean, all of these actions uh, speak to this in some respect. But it's uh, the action is is manage your risk, and and I don't just mean product risk. Yes, product risk I think is very important. Uh, you know, and there are methodologies and and tools and and different. Uh, Approaches you can take to assess and evaluate product risk. Um, you know, from from that vantage point, I mean, this is the whole benefit that uh, you know Devin shared. One of the benefits that Devin shared about you know documenting your ideas, your thoughts and ideas when you're you know running experiments. Those are all risk mitigation activities uh, in and of themselves. So I think you know that's really important, but mm-hmm. you know the, just the technical advisory board—that's that's another way to mitigate risk, but not so much so necessarily from a product perspective, but more from a business perspective. Um, so you got to look at risk from a lot of different angles: product, business, go to market, you know, manufacturability, scalability. All of these sorts of things are are risks that that you know if you don't think about them and and spend the amount of right amount of time and and effort on these sorts of things they can definitely trip up a company that's trying to be successful in the marketplace mm-hmm. i love it that, that's 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 a great fifth uh fifth lesson learned there john um i i, I think that's i think that's perfect and very sage advice uh for any early stage entrepreneur or early stage startup listening to this thinking about um you know, asking themselves, how, how do I move forward um, with with this idea that I have? Uh, I, I think that's 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 great feedback for them to consider. Absolutely. Devin, this has been a, a great conversation. And folks, I hope those of you that are listening, you know, certainly uh, hope we, we get some RADx program participants uh, to, to chime in and listen to this. But, you know, certainly all of these tips and pointers and actions, these are applicable you know, originally I thought, you know, applicable to startups, but man, this is, this is sage advice. Even if you're a well-established company that's been doing this for decades, these, these are just some really core basic foundational fundamentals that, that every company designing and developing products should, should uh, embrace as part of their daily practice. Don't you think? Yeah. I think the, the challenge for larger, more established organizations is the, is overcoming the inertia of their own systems, right? So what, what I mean by that, they've already got really large, um, complicated, uh, maybe it's still a very efficient, but, but larger, more mature, mature is a better word than complicated, larger, more mature quality systems or, or product development processes. Um, and sometimes that carries so much inertia, it's hard to break free from that and say, how can I do something different and faster. Uh, so I think it's, 
definitely applicable. Uh, I think the challenge for uh, for a larger team is to really um, be humble and 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 question their processes and, and wonder if is there a way that we can behave like a startup to enable us to move so quickly while still capturing the information that we need uh, in, in piecemeal and kind of building out so that you're moving toward a fully controlled system um, toward the end, uh, end of your product development process. But yeah, I mean, I, hopefully it's it's applicable kind of across the board. Absolutely. And, and, and folks, you know, we're going to wrap up this episode uh, on that. Um, to Devin's point, you know, if you're whether you're new to this, uh, whether you're a startup, whether you're a mat- more mature or, or experienced organization, you know, there's ways to be quicker and more nimble uh, through this process and, and do so in a way that is perfectly fine and passes muster with FDA and other regulatory agencies. The, these tips and pointers that, that Devin and I have uh, shared with you today, um, these are all legitimate, compliant uh, well-recognized, well-accepted approaches. Uh, so keep that in mind. And, and if you're working, you know, in a system or under an approach that, you know, maybe could use a little bit of fine-tuning, maybe looking at ways to improve some efficiency and some throughput, well, that's what Devin and product does for a living. So reach out to Devin Campbell. Uh, you can learn more by visiting uh, Devin's website. Devin, how what what is the best way for folks to reach out to you? Uh, the, the website is just product p r o d c t dot dev like product development. Um, you can reach me through there. Yeah, and you can fill out the form, and he will respond. I've done it, even though I knew him. Um, <laughs> and then uh, the the other <laughs> the other thing to keep in mind is uh, at Greenlight, we're here to help too. So, uh, as Devin mentioned uh, a little bit earlier. We've got workflows to help you with document management. You know, if you're trying to document your protocols and route those for review and approval, well, we've got workflows for that. We've also got workflows to help you manage your design control activities. Even if it's very, very early, you know, it's very flexible to to accommodate whatever stage of development you're in. And I mentioned risk management, product risk management. We have workflows for that. And then certainly as you get to market and you need uh, a more robust quality management system and all the quality event and post-market workflows. We've got those covered uh, within the Greenlight Guru Medical Device Quality Management System as well. So if you'd like to learn more about that, go to www.greenlight.guru and we'd be thrilled to have a conversation to understand what your needs are and see if we might be a fit to help you get your products to market and help you improve quality of life of the patients that are going to be benefiting from your technologies. Devin, I always enjoy these conversations. So once again, Thank you so much. Look forward to, to future conversations about, I don't know, whatever else comes to our minds in, in the future. So thank you again so much. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Happy to have had this time with you. And folks, thank you for continuing to keep the Global Medical Device Podcast at the top of the podcast in the medical device industry. It's because of you, our loyal listeners, uh, that we continue to be that number one spot. So be sure to share um, more with your friends and colleagues about the Global Medical Device Podcast. If you have thoughts and ideas on things that you like Devin and, and I or or others uh, to talk about on on the podcast, shoot me a note, and uh, we'd love to to you know get your feedback and continue to make this 
amazing and, and an awesome venue for you to, to get some tips and pointers to, to be successful medical device professionals. As always, this is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear, and you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.